Welcome, welcome, your backup plan tribe to today's new live stream. I'm so thankful to have you all on today for our special guest, Susan Ways. And she's going to tell us her journey through grief. And it's going to be absolutely wonderful tips and tricks. And I know you are all all our listeners are going to really, really appreciate our show today. Um, my name is Tina Ginn. My, um, I am an emergency preparedness coach, a best-selling author, a financial expert, and an app developer of Your Backup Plan app. And I'm located here in Vancouver, BC. I interview real-life people with their real life stories each and every week. Um, I post step-by-step -step tutorials, sometimes current events in the news, tips and tricks from our interviewees, and whatever else I feel like posting and sharing with our wonderful listeners. If you haven't liked, shared, and subscribed to our channel, please do. It's somewhere down here in the corner, a little red button that says subscribe, click on that, and you will get notified with any of our live events, our live videos, or any uploads that I add to our channel. Your backup plan app puts your life in one place in preparation of any unpredictable circumstance, while taking the painful aftermath out of any tragedy. I want to welcome Susan Ways. She has uh, is a certified life and executive coach, a blogger, a speaker, and a podcaster. Susan has spent her career as an HR executive, but after losing her young, healthy husband to an aggressive form of lung cancer, she found herself lost, unable to figure out how to integrate into work and life again. Through her journey of grief, self-discover, and rebuilding her life, Susan founded the podcast Tendrils of Grief with the goal of helping other grievers navigate this confusing and life-changing space. Her podcast features grievers, grief professionals who discuss all kinds of grief and provide practical tips to help others find meaning in their life again. And I want to welcome Susan today. Hi, Susan. Hi, Tina. I am so honored to be here. I am so honored to have you here today. And what is the weather like today where you are? Today, winter is really trying to hang on strong here. In I'm in Maryland in the U.S. And it is windy and a little bit chilly out, but I know spring's around the corner, so this is okay. Well, especially during COVID, we're all anxious for that warmer weather to start giving us that boost of energy again. Um, and I want to welcome you to our show to talk about how these tragedies can really develop and change our lives forever. And you have quite the journey to tell us. I do. Do you want me to launch into my story? Sure, that'd be awesome. <laughs> okay, so I was married and had a wonderful marriage and we did all the right things and we have this belief in our world or society that if you do the right things or if you're a good person that life will be good to you and that's not always the case as i found out and we were grateful we were good stewards of our marriage we were very in love best friends we don't smoke we don't drink a lot. My husband actually has never smoked. He never smoked. He never did an illegal drug in his whole life. He was really a straight arrow. And he 
got lung cancer. And it was quite a journey, the whole medical diagnosis. It took him about an hour, an hour. It took him about a year to figure out what the was going on with him health-wise because he had some very basic complaints that we all have as we get older and had all the proper testing done. And this cancer is very aggressive. It's 100% terminal. And most people live about 12 months with it. And he lived 15 months, but 12 of those 15 months were pretty miserable because the treatment is worse than the cancer. But there is also a whole journey that goes along that with the emotional and psychological torture of knowing that you're going to die. And so he had his journey. And then I had my journey as the caretaker with a front row seat to really watch this while trying to manage his illness, manage his side effects, manage his appointments, his treatment, his medication, manage my job, my daughter and my life. And it was really, really something. And navigate that is the hard part because we all have the fear of the unknown we kind of know when we're in that stage that something is going to occur, but we don't know when and we don't know how. Um, but we do kind of know more of when versus someone who's healthy, um, who's not going through that kind of prognosis. Um, what kinds of things was he going through for that year then? And how did that affect your life? Well, he was he was very resistant to the treatment and any side effect that he could have from the treatment he had any negative side effect and then the medications that were designed to help mitigate some of the side some of the side effects from treatment also caused him issues so physically he was in a lot of pain there was nausea and vomiting and painkillers were causing him to be constipated and then the cancer the tumors from the cancer were causing him pain and he was couldn't eat anything. Food didn't taste good. He went from 185 pounds. He was very muscular and worked out to 110 pounds when he died. And over the course of the year, that was really awful. It was awful to watch. And I can't tell you, this is a little yeah. bit of a left turn, but I can't tell you how many people said to him, oh, I wish... I could lose weight, or I wish I could give you some of my weight. And those comments just aren't helpful. They were actually very hurtful during that time because the weight loss was a big deal and, the, and not eating was a big deal. And so then he's weak and he's tired and he slept a lot. And so it, it was it was really something else for him, not to mention the emotional side of it because he didn't want to die and he wasn't ready to die. And he didn't want to leave. We have a daughter who is now 17. She was 14 when he passed, but he loved his family so much. And he was a really good husband and a fabulous father. You wonder why. I guess that's the first thing that we all wonder when we're sitting there, why? Um, that's the hardest part, I think, because you say it, you know, it, it doesn't have any color attached to it. It doesn't have any age attached to it. It doesn't have if you're good or a bad person. It, it, it just happens. And we want to know why. Why us? Why did it pick him? Why does it happen? Um, all of these questions go through us. And I think for those that are left behind, it's probably the hardest part to overcome um, for yourself to, as a family, to move on. Um, how did how did you find moving forward um, the hardest? Well, if it's okay, I'd like to address the why question because we do all ask that. And I know Paul even asked that question. And he said to me, he was the kind of a guy that if the clerk gave him 85 cents too much change, he would drive back to the store and return it. He was just that person. And he lived his life in a very honorable way and was a man of integrity. And he had asked that question. He said, I tried to do everything right. I tried to be a good person. I tried to be kind. And I can't believe this is how my story is going to end. 
And I found that that why question became very toxic for me because there's mm -hmm. no answer that's going to feel good. Mm -hmm. There is no answer that will make me happy with the outcome. Even if somebody said, because he was God's chosen person and God wanted him to come back and do something magnificent, that still doesn't make me happy. No. So I tried to stay away from that why, because when I realized there was no answer that was going to benefit me, I changed my question to what now? What do I do now? What's next for me and for my life? And how do I honor him and what he went through and how I go into that what's next? And then I forgot your question originally. So did I. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's okay. But I guess what I'm thinking is if you, you kind of answered it because you changed it from why to what next what what does the universe have for us next um i guess in a positive moving forward aspect of learning a lesson of going through that journey and what did it bring to you in light instead of in the dark of managing and navigating the the journey of the year um that's such a hard thing to do it's not easy when people get sick. Um, that's what I always talk about with our backup plan um, app and the emerging blueprint is the difficulty of once you know you have something, it's almost too late to be able to wrap your head around having a plan, having answers to all those miserable, horrible questions that we need to answer to have a plan and activate it when it's needed. Um, but it's difficult to do. And But when you're healthy, it's, it's quite easy if you can get your head wrapped around that something is going to happen one day um, and not be, you know, like it's not gonna be next week or, you know, in two years, but one day, whether you're 100 or 120, or if you're 50, it doesn't matter, but we know something it will happen to all of us. And how difficult is it to do any planning once you're in that 12 month window of someone going through all of those things, because you have the medication that's difficult to navigate through because it makes you have all of these other issues that you have to work through. The sickness, I know a lot of the medication for cancer patients makes you feel very, very ill. Um, and you wonder why you're doing it at the time, I think. Um, I've seen so many of my friends go through that. Um, and I wouldn't wish it on anyone. So mm -hmm. what kinds of things happened in your 12 months that you could tell the listeners. Well, I love what you do. And it's something that I wish that I had and that we had in place prior to our situation, because I'll tell you there's physical component as you discussed and cancer is progressive. So in the beginning, when you're okay and you're just starting treatment and you're in a good headspace and you're going to fight and you're going to beat this. So at that point, you really don't, the emotional kicks in there and you don't want to have those conversations because it feels like you're not being positive and it feels like you're having a negative outcome to, at the end of this. And it makes that negative outcome real when you're trying to be in a headspace of I'm going to be the one who beats this cancer. So that's first of all. Secondly, as the cancer progresses and you're getting treatment, you're physically just not feeling good. So you're yeah. tired and you're sleeping and you're not wanting to eat and you're irritable because all of this stuff going on, think about it, when we're sick, whether we have a really bad cold, you're irritable. You don't want to be talking to people. You don't want to be having deep, meaningful conversations. You don't want to be remembering passwords or where things are. And so that was a very difficult time as well to have those conversations. And then when you are feeling good on those rare moments, you don't want to have these kinds of conversations. You want to focus on feel good things. 
Then as the cancer progressed, it eventually spread into his brain because the progression of his cancer was really from the lungs to the other areas of the body, but then into the spinal cord and then into the brain. And then you're not even thinking logically at all times. And so we went through, and he was on so much medication that remembering passwords or understanding different things was just nearly impossible. And it, I remember him at times, you're trying to have like, let's write down your passwords. Let's, what do you want to wear to your funeral? What do you want your funeral to look like? These are not fun conversations to have when you're alive or living and healthy. They're definitely not fun conversations to have when you are dying because there's that emotional component to it. And it just makes it so real and in your face. And I hated that we had to have those conversations but we did because at that point he had his bills that he paid. I had my bills. He had his checking account. I had my checking account. And it was, there were reasons that we had everything split and divided up, but just there were, there were credit cards and things that he had that I didn't know about and not that anything was alarming, but the next thing I know, like there was a Best Buy credit card and I'm getting a letter from Best Buy and I don't have his, any of his information to log into that account. And I had to try to figure that out. And so it, for me on the back end, I had probably 90% of what I needed, which was stressful enough, just doing the, what I needed and yeah. having the information, but not having the information for that extra 10% just added insult to injury and I'm grieving. I mean, my world blew up. So yeah. anything would throw me over the edge emotionally. And that added stress was just not what I needed at that time. And I think um, we all growing up have some sort of card that we got or account that we got and we might've used it, um, you know, um, it could have been furniture credit card or like you said, Best Buy credit card or something that we've done and we just had and we totally forgot that we even had it ourselves, let alone left it for those people that are left behind to figure out. It's hard enough for ourselves. But, you know, when those feel good moments happen and you're actually not feeling too badly, it's definitely not one things that you want to talk about. Right. I think what we want to talk about is we want to hold each other's hands. We want to embrace each other. We want to take a walk. We want to go sit by the water. We want to have those present moments with each other as much as we can capture and remember the things we said, the things we talked about, the things that um, mean so much to us inside our heart and not what credit card or what funeral arrangements do you want to do? And yeah, it's, it's so tough. It is really tough. And one thing I want to tell you that could really accentuate what we're talking about right now is he had this beautiful Jeep and it was worth a lot of money and it was completely customized and it was so big and tricked out that I couldn't drive it. My daughter was going to be getting her driver's license. We kept it for two years, but she couldn't drive it. It wasn't even street legal. It was his dream car. And I didn't want to sell it. I held on to it for as long as I could. I knew where the main keys for it were because he had set those out. But what he yeah. didn't tell me and I didn't think to ask is where is the second key? And when I went to sell it, they asked me that question, where is the second key? Now, keep in mind, I went to sell it and then chickened out because it was so emotional. I couldn't do it. My heart was broken. So it was probably another three months before I sold it. And during that three months, I tore my house up looking for that key. And one day I was standing in the room that was his office because he worked from home quite a bit. And I just said, like, I threw my arms up and I said, Paul, where is the other key? And I kid you not, I looked immediately over to a cup holder where he had a bunch of pens in and I dumped it out and the key was in there. And who would have thought I would have found it there? It had to be some kind of divine intervention because I went through every nook and cranny looking for that key. And that translates, it was like $500 if I could not find that second key that they would take off because it's the automatic keys that you click and, and it wasn't just a regular old key. You can't have them just remade. So yes. it was real money in not finding that. 
And who would have ever thought it would be there? Right. You know, you think a drawer hanging on a hook or in an envelope in a filing cabinet maybe or something, but not where your pencils and pens are. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's funny how um, I've had so many clients too that parents or, or the other person said, I have a will. It's all done. It's all looked after for you. But where is it? <laughs> that's the big question. And it's always somewhere that you would not think it would be. Right. Always. Right. And so, under your heading of not wanting to have certain conversations, we were, we had to have the conversation if something happened to me, because we now know he's going to die and we're doing the will for the first time. But then the question comes up, if something happens to me, what do we want? Who do we want to raise Madison, our daughter? And we're having now a very deep debate about that because that's like a serious conversation because now it's realer than real because it's just me. And we ended up in a little bit of an argument over that because he had some very strong feelings about certain things and we worked through it obviously, but that uh, to your point, that's not how I wanted to spend my last months with him. No, not, um, not that way. That's for sure. Because, um, that brings up the point of sometimes even with your parents or your sister or brothers um, and bringing all of those kind of subjects up. It's not so bad if you can, you know, have a big turkey dinner and say, we're going to take a half an hour before or after and go over the conversation of what if uh, with those around you, because whether it's you, like you said, or your husband, um, all of those other people in your life also have the same problem because you are going to have to step in at that time for them as well. And what do they want it to look like? Because you're probably unaware as well because you've never really asked those questions. Um, so just between husband and wife, there's so many bills that one pays the other doesn't pay or knows how or unclaimed accounts that we're totally unaware of. Um, but outside of all of that stuff is all the feelings and the moments that we can't get back. And um, it means so much after, doesn't it? When you look back, it, means it does so much. It does. And I'm really grateful because I think that we, because we were good stewards of our marriage before we were good stewards of our marriage during this process. And someone had told me once that with grieving, when someone will die in a similar nature in which they lived. And I found that to be very true in our case. So we did take the time. I called it pillow talk because neither one of us could sleep. And one of us would wake up in the middle of the night and the other one would be right on the edge of sleep. So we would just have these hour and hours and hours long conversation in the middle of the night. And those times were wonderful. But I wanted to hang on to every one of those seconds that I could hang on to and not be asking and I don't want to say silly questions, but what do you want to wear at your funeral? Because these things feel very important at the time. But at the end yeah. of the day, it, I always tell my kids now, I'm like, I'll be dead. So I don't care what I'm wearing at my funeral. You do what makes you feel good and what you feel <laughs> honors that space for you. Um, it's funny how now you're bringing it up with your daughter, where you probably would have never mentioned those things before. I know, I know. That's it brings true. a whole other level to things, doesn't it? It somehow. does. Yeah, it absolutely so, does. Other than, I like your tip about don't think of the why. What other kind of tips did you find that you that you want to help people with? Because this is a journey that we're all going to overcome at some point in time in some shape or form with those that pass away or get sick. I mean, even if the person got really, really sick and is in coma for a long period of time, you're, you're kind of in that same boat. And what kind of tips do you have for the listeners? 
Oh, wow. There's so many that I could say, because between the people I've interviewed on my podcast and my own journey, the one thing is that I feel like we all want permission or we want to know if this is normal. And I hear that question all the time. I'm feeling this way. Is that normal? And my answer is always yes, because we're human beings with feelings and there's no script and no way to know how to be a human being except to do it. And you will make mistakes along the way, but that's normal. (laughs) Making mistakes is normal. Being emotional is normal. Nobody, no two people grieve the same way. And don't compare yourself to other grievers because this is your journey and honor that journey. And whatever you can do to really, uh, there's two ways I want to answer this. One is when someone is dying, it's really about you and your relationship with that person, whether you're the child, the friend, the wife, the mother, the cousin, whatever that relationship is, the journey becomes about your relationship with that person and however you can honor that. And you don't even have to be by that person's side. You can honor them from a distance. You can have your own memorial service for them. That's something that's meaningful to you. And then just, I had a lot of, because people wanted to descend in on Paul when he was sick and dying. And we had maybe a year, it was a race against the clock. And all these people who had opted out of his life or backburnered him now wanted a front row seat. And I was like, oh, hell no, because this is about my daughter and me. And we're going to have the front row seat. And if you get time, that will be a gift because it's just, it becomes a very crowded space. So you've got to have boundaries and stand by those boundaries. And I was Paul's advocate and what he didn't want, I was the the communicator of, and people were pretty angry with me about that. And then afterwards, just be kind to yourself because it's a really difficult, dark journey. And I went through some really tough times and I have created, I have no room in my life for things that don't serve me anymore. I don't spend time with people who don't feed my soul. I'm not mean to people. I don't have big dramatic breakups with people, but I have slowly and gently exited people out of my life because it just doesn't honor where I am. And I feel like I have an obligation to myself, to my daughter and to Paul to really live my best life. And that doesn't include being surrounded by people that don't feed my soul or her soul in the right way. So I've given myself that permission to become the person that I want to be and surround myself with people who support that. That's beautiful because why do these people come out of the woodwork? To come back when someone's dying? Oh, it's guilt. It's the, I, I call it the Hail Mary pass at the end of the football game. And people would say to him, oh, Paul was amazing. Or say to me, Paul was amazing. Paul was, somebody in his family said to me, Paul's been my favorite family member. And I said, really? Paul would have never known that because where have you been? <laughs> and I said this to the person because what you think in your head, if you don't communicate it with other people or let them know that they're important to you and they matter, there you can't you cannot rebuild a lifetime of lost relationship in 12 months no but they think somehow i like it 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 just it's painful for those that are actually going through it to not be burdened by those extra people that really aren't there for the purpose i feel it's almost like it's selfish. It's almost like they're being selfish that they feel the right to be participant in this. They feel the right, even though they've not been part of the family for however long. And we all have them. (laughs) We all have them in our lives. We do. And Paul had a pretty dysfunctional family and there wasn't a lot of expressed love in his family, but they did want to be there. And I understood that. And I tried to make a balance for that, but there was a family member of his and and people feel entitled. So you'll hear that like, oh, this is my, this is my friend, my brother, my son, my whatever, my cousin. And I should be there because I have this title. Well, your title doesn't matter. And it didn't matter to me. It didn't matter to Paul. And there was a family member that we needed to exclude from the process because, again, this family member was toxic before Paul was sick and dying and 
continued to be toxic while he was sick and dying. And so we had to really eliminate this person mm -hmm. from everything. And the person to this day, I don't think has acknowledged or understand what he's done, but it becomes also a pathology in the family where there's a whole group of enablers and codependents who make this person's behavior possible and don't have any level of accountability. And so it's really, again, about them wanting to feed their soul, them wanting to make up for the guilt, them wanting to say, because I felt like you were number one, you're number one. And it, it just, the list goes on and on. I mean, there's another family member of his who was quite ugly towards Paul and really held him accountable for some decisions he made as a child for his whole life and treated him terribly. But now the story is what a fabulous relationship they had and this person can't go on because of the loss and they're so depressed. And I won't even talk to them about that. I mean, I'm, I talk to them if we communicate about other things, but I refuse to have a conversation about Paul because I'm not going to enter into that level that's your stuff and you deal with your stuff. I've got my own things to deal with and I'm going to be over here as the mayor of Realville with my real subjects, <laughs> my real community members, <laughs> not subjects, but community members. And you can be over there in Fantasyville as the mayor <laughs> of Fantasyville living with your fantasy uh, community members, not mine. And it's so unfortunate because that's one thing that the grievers have to seem to filter um, and and maneuver through uh, over those times of either sickness and death. Um, and it's so unfortunate because I feel the sense of selfishness and entitlement to those people, but they're not thinking of those that are actually grieving that are like the likes of you and your daughter. Um, so if any listeners are out there, please respect um, the boundaries of, of that griever family unit um, because it's so important that even if that person didn't bombard and come in and presume that everything was going to be going their way, I feel from your story that, and it happens all the time, they're either coming in to do that or they're coming in after the death to you know pick on that watch that they wanted or the cup and saucer in the cabinet or you know little stupid things or money um but it doesn't even have to be about money that's it's right and to your point if you're someone who knows somebody that's grieving don't honor that space, you know, come in and honor that space. Don't come in and, and try to take over. But if you're someone that is grieving, set those boundaries and don't be afraid because what I'm saying may sound harsh, but it came from a wonderful place of love and protection and honor. I use that word so much now. The other thing is, yes. Oh my gosh, Tina. Yes. I have had people ask me for stuff and I and number one, I haven't been ready to give away a lot of stuff. I've given a few things away, but I've been very particular. The other part of it, too, is that because Paul was such a principled man of integrity and honor, I feel like you have to earn and deserve to have something of his. And I would almost rather give it to charity where I know it would go to somebody that would benefit yeah. from it than to give it to somebody who didn't treat Paul well. And because I don't think they deserve to have his amazingness in their possession. Absolutely. And why it's, it's just so unusual when people get together and feel their opinions are, are everything and they don't honor the people in the family unit that are actually very grieving. Um, and, any listeners out there, please think of the grieving family unit as what can you do to help them instead of what is it that you want out of this? And they might be grieving too. The people who are asking can be grievers. They can be people who are close. And a lot of people feel that they're the biggest griever in the room and they're going to make their grief a competition with your grief. 
and they loved harder, larger, more, better, whatever they, the story is they tell themselves. So it's not just the family unit. It's, it becomes to me, it was Madison and me first. So someone described it as a pebble. And if you drop a pebble in the water, there's the point of impact that gets hit hard. And then there's the ripples that go out. And each relationship is a ripple that is removed from that pebble. And Madison and I were the pebble. And someone asked me for Paul's ashes. And they were upset when I said no, because they felt like they were entitled to the ashes. But to me, it was about Madison. And I asked Madison, how do you feel about that? And Madison said, I want my dad to be all together in one place. And Paul's wishes were to be have his ashes spread at a certain location. And Madison said, no, I want all of his ashes together here. And that's the choice that I made to honor. Because again, Paul's not here. And Spirit Paul will understand why I didn't honor his wishes to scatter his ashes. Right. And because it's it's a decision that both of you made. Right. Because you're the one who has to live with it. That's right. Absolutely. Um, what kinds of things um, you've learned so much. Yeah. This is such a great healing process for you. Yeah to have your own podcast and have these wonderful people that come into your life and give you all these little tips and tricks. Cause I'm sure it's like having an addiction. Um, we're always going to be addicted and it's all, we're always going to be grieving. It's just different levels right. of it. And I think some days it could be 10 years from now, you could break down and have a bad day and that's okay. Yeah. Oh, and I told someone just recently that a week ago, Monday, and I'm year three going into year four. I was so, I was having such a terrible day and I missed Paul so much. And I just put my head down on my table next to my laptop for work. And I just sobbed for about 20 minutes. So it still, it sneaks up on you and it attacks you. Yeah. And it's funny how it's um, at the most unusual moments, like you wonder, is it a thought that came in or is it some something yeah. that enter? It doesn't even have to, it's sometimes music, of course, or a movie or something somebody said or, but I just find it and it could be, it could be anything. And it's the same for pets. Even yeah. people deal with, the loss of a pet um, in the same way. Uh, because I think we all have these hard moments when the person's gone missing from our life. Um, and I know from a pet, when you come home and they're not there and not excited to see you is the hardest part of moving forward um, because you miss it so much. There's so many things you miss. Well, people and pets come with energy. So when you have a pet in your house, there's an energy associated with them and we can all feel energy and not from an airy fairy perspective, but from a scientific perspective, there's just energy around people. And when that energy gets removed from your house, from your life, it is a vacancy that you feel and you come home and that energy is not there, as you said, to greet you and to love you and same humans, pets, it doesn't matter. It's just that yeah. energetic shift that you're now trying to adjust to as well as the physical, emotional and spiritual loss of that person. Yeah. And I think it's the vacancy that of course is probably the underlying issue because you, you have to find another avenue to speak to them to, right touch them and hear them and feel them. And that's, <laughs> it's funny how it always seems to come around to my treasure box and the module, which we've talked about before, but it's that sense of what can I give those people that are left behind something to smell, something to touch, something to feel, because it means so much when you need that moment of, of, of them. <laughs> right. Right. You do. I have Paul's cologne, his favorite cologne. I've kept that. And sometimes I'll spray it on my pillow. I wrote letters to him for 
sometimes I still do, but religiously I wrote them for a year after he passed away because I had told him every day for 17 years, my life day to day. And I didn't have that to share with him anymore. And so I shared it in letters to him at the end of my day, every day. Oh, that's really lovely. That's a good tip for people to feel like they're that gave you the ability to feel like they were there. Yes. With you. Um, Is there anything else that was that? So one thing that that Paul did when he knew he was dying, and this was at the recommendation of a grief counselor, was he wrote cards to Madison for all of her significant milestones in her life. But he was also pretty sick when he did it. So they weren't letters or things written by the Paul that she would, the dad that she remembered, but it's something. We also had a video, I made a video with him. I had to prompt him through the video because he was just too emotionally distraught to really do it himself. But I think those things to leave a video vignette for your family members to have later when you're at a point where you're healthy and alert and just of what you want to say to them, tell people how you felt about them, tell people what you loved about them, share something that might be a funny memory, a funny story, just something that you can share that are pieces of you. So they will remember, I, I created a 365 day jar that Paul didn't get to go through because I created it. Probably he was diagnosed in September and I started it in February and gave it to him. So he didn't get through the whole thing, but it was memories. I had funny stories, things that we had done together. And there were quotes that reminded me of him. There were five different subjects and I, wrote on a little different, each one was color coded. And so the colored piece of paper represented each subject. And I put them in a bar in a bowl in a jar. And my daughter reads them now. And she looks through them and it gives her a glimpse of what our marriage was like. And so it's, it's just really kind of a wonderful legacy for her to have. And something like that, I wish I would have done while he was alive, you know, healthy and here to enjoy it. Yeah, because we talk about that in the treasure box, because um, when you're alive and healthy and your life is moving fast, as we our lives do, um, it's kind of nice to be in the moment and present of, oh, that was a funny event, or at an event to make time after to take that picture, to take that video, to say something. Um it, it reminds me of um, sort of like in Friends, for example, in the TV show or in a movie, you'll sometimes see at a wedding where people are around taking videos and saying, what do you say to your, you know, the new bride and groom? What do you have to tell them? And so it's all these little snippets that you can form into one. Um, and it's so lovely and so beautiful. So if you could have you know, started it when she was born and the things that he would have said or the video that he would have said or, or written down or stories or, you know, it'd be so lovely. And so listeners do that. Please do that. Yeah. It's a race against the clock when somebody is dying. And then we had the opportunity to know, and we had that 15 month runway, but it's just as, easy to get in your car and be in a car accident, have a heart attack, have something really tragic. And I've talked to many people on my podcast who woke up one morning living their best life and went to bed in a nightmare. Yes. Yes. And it changes your life forever and you have regrets and you have, why didn't I do that before? Why didn't I say this? All of those things. It's, it's uh, a life of regret. It feels like yeah. sometimes. And then, <laughs> yeah. And the best way to do that is to live your, to be, to counter that is to live your life. Now say the things that you need to say now, pull the people that you want close to you. Now push out the people that don't serve your soul, build that inner circle and invest in it and love it and cherish it every day. Cause the people that aren't supposed to be in our life are just distractors from the people that we do want in our life. I call them lessons. (laughs) Yes. Those people are all brought into our life as a lesson that we're supposed to learn something from. Yeah. Um, So 
whether it's good or bad lessons they, right. or a combination of both. Um, what kinds of things can you say as someone that's struggling right now that maybe has lost their partner? You know, because partners, it's a different grief, I have to admit. Well, it is a different grief. And I don't want to compare grief. But I'm going to say that I didn't lose the Paul who was a little child who I watched grow up. I didn't lose a friend that I went to lunch with. I didn't lose a brother who I may or may not have been intermittently involved with throughout my life. I lost a man who I had spent every day for 20 years with, who was my past, who was my present, who was my future, who was the life that I built and invested in. And I felt like my life ended when his did, because everything I had worked for, everything that that we were, I mean, we were talking about our retirement and not that it was any time in the near future, but it was something as our daughter goes on to college, what was next for us? What was the next chapter of our life looking like? And that all got taken away from me and I didn't know where to go. I was a single mom, which I never wanted to be. I was a widow, which I never wanted to be. And I don't like those labels at all and don't use them, but I, it gets better. And you will find a purpose if you choose that, because it is about choice. It's not about choice that you're grieving and your life is terrible and it's hard and it sucks. That's not a choice. But what is a choice is what you do with that. And so if you pick yourself up, if you make the choice, if you hold a vision of what you want for the future and work towards that vision and honor the person that you lost with that vision, it gets better. It's not great. I don't love it. I wouldn't choose it. But I now feel like I have hope again. And hope and despair can live in the same space. Love and anger can live in the same space. We can have conflicting emotions that live in the same space. And all of that's okay. But so it's fine to be grieving and hopeful at the same time. There's no shame in that. Especially because there's moments of both. Right. Um, I mean, you could go in, walk into the kitchen, walk into the living room and have a moment um, of either happiness or of grief. Um, and I think the grief part is just so difficult because someone had said to me, it's love. That's why it's grief. Mm -hmm. You've, it's you've, right. Yeah. And love is what makes the world go around. That's what I say. <laughs> So unfortunately, when the, the clocks turn and love has stopped and reverted backwards a bit in your journey, it's tough to get back on that roller coaster and get back into the groove of things again. Um, it's just a, such a dark space that it's hard to overcome. And um, I'm not sure how you I know how you can celebrate the person's death at the end. We, a lot of people are doing that now versus having a, a, a funeral quote. Um, and that's lovely because that's looking at the optimistic viewpoint of, of the journey, I guess, so to speak. But it's sure hard to go through when you're going through it. Do you, do you feel like your mind is even working right at that point? No, it's I couldn't. And this is why I started podcasting because I'm a writer. And I had a very successful HR blog. And I had blogs that had 20 plus thousand views of it. But I couldn't write. I couldn't read. I couldn't retain. If I read it was in very, very short increments. So it had to be it couldn't be a deep, heavy book. And I started listening to podcasts. And when I decided to do a podcast, to do my own, I knew I wanted it to be short, not more than 30 minutes because of the attention span. You don't have the attention span. Your mind is all over the place. There's so many things to think about and worry about. And you're in the past, you're in the future, you're in the present, and none of them look good from where you are. And your mind is bouncing around from place to place. So it's very hard 
to stay focused, to stay engaged, to feel like you're in your right mind. And you feel like an alien in your own life. Because like I said, now my friends are married. I'm not. I'm grieving. I'm miserable to be around. They want to be happy. And you just don't, you just don't know how to navigate that space. It's very, and you, you're, there's so much shame because you're embarrassed that you feel bad. You feel like you should feel better. You feel like you should be in a different spot of your grieving. You shouldn't be so sad. You should have said this to your loved one while they were alive. There's all this shame and self-abuse going on. And I really did learn to for gratitude was important to me being finding things to be grateful. And in the beginning it was hard. And some days it was, I'm grateful that I have running water in my house, something that I would take for granted and not very many people would think to be grateful for. But I tried to practice gratitude every day and change my mindset a little bit. I, it, there's just so many little tools that you can do that don't take a lot of time or effort that start that journey that start the process in your mind. Yes. I, I know after my car accident, I would say, I don't know what happens to your brain. I, I don't want to say fog because it's almost thicker than fog when it occurs. Um, like I wouldn't, you wouldn't call it fog, would you? You weren't in fog. It's, it's almost like you, it's like my brain would leave my head if yeah. you could visualize that. And sometimes you kind of go with it because it's like a thought and it would fly through the air. And then I'd be like, Oh, Oh, I got to get that. And you yeah. want to grab it and bring it back. It, yeah. I, I don't know how to explain it any different. Um, I just felt like an alien. I felt like I was in an alternate universe. I didn't feel <laughs> like I was me living my life and it, none of, none of it was real and I didn't want it to be real. And you can see why people self-medicate, why they start to drink and take antidepressants and, and just really watch too much Netflix or even work. There's people that are, and then they get rewarded for that. And that's not healthy either because we've got to go through the hard stuff of grief to come out on the other side. And the other side doesn't mean not grieving. The other side means understanding how to function in that space of grief. Um, I understand you are a lifestyle coach. So, you know, not everyone's a coach or a counselor or a therapist. So when is it a good time for people to realize that they need some outside help? So even if you're a coach or a counselor and a therapist, all of that goes to hell in a handbasket when you're grieving because we can't navigate our way out of our own mess many times. No. So that did not really help me other than I knew to get help. And I think when I just couldn't, I had a daughter, a lot of people are, they have the suicidal ideation after someone they really love passes away. That's very normal to have that when you have a plan that's not normal and you need help at that point when you can't function when you're alienating yourself or when you're feeling that the only way you can get through the day is to self-medicate with alcohol or drugs it, that that is also a, a problem anytime you feel out of control that you're not in control of what's going on around you and this can even be i'm going to make a very large stretch but it's important if you start dating and you meet someone, there's these online scammers. And if you start to feel that you're out of control and somebody's asking you for money, that's you need you need to get help. Like that's a warning sign. Anytime you just feel like you're doing things that aren't typically you or maybe dangerous or other people are telling you they're dangerous, get help. Just talk or to like, someone. Or even in your own mind. <laughs> right. Yes, yeah, true. Yes. Uh, you know, I'm going to take a hike um, up a big, huge mountain and not bring any precautions with me. You know, yeah. that's, that's kind of a wrong thing to do. But I think we all have done it when you're grieving to try to think about um, what your mind is doing, because that's the hardest part of what is my mind doing? Yeah. How, how, how am I going to feel tomorrow? Is this all I have today, <laughs> you know, kind of feeling? Um, yeah. And sometimes you wake up and you feel really good. But by the time you go to bed, it changes again. And that's okay. Yes. It's it is okay. It's all okay. Because it's part of the process. Yeah, it's sure a strange process of that. 
It's a painful Choice process. Yeah. Um, what about um, having, you know, a lot of people are just alone, but some have children and that's another whole avenue to go down because you have to be there for that person or persons as well as a mom. Yeah. How, does, how does that work? Well, I think every situation comes with its own unique challenges. Being alone, I have friends who are alone and grieving, and that's really hard for them because they are 100% alone. Yeah. And then I have friends and myself who have children, and they do need to be there. And people will say, oh, well, at least you have your daughter in your house. And I always tell people, the minute you say at least, abandon whatever it is you're going to say after that, because it's nothing good. It's a consolation prize, and nobody needs a consolation prize. So yes, I do have my daughter in my house. But what that means is that I can't lay on the couch all weekend and watch Netflix. I have to get up, and I have to make sure that she's fed, and I have to make sure that bills are paid, and I have to make sure that her homework is done, and I have to make sure that she's on track and getting the resources that she needs. So I can't just check out, which sometimes that's okay. If you need a day to just lie in bed in your pajamas. And it, I feel like it's, it's harder to do that when you have kids. And I also, I was grieving so hard, but yet I had to be responsible for her grief too. And I was barely responsible for my grief. And I just had to force myself, pick myself up by my bootstraps and make sure that she had counseling, that she had the resources that she needed. She was a competitive dancer for most of her life. And there was 30 hours of dance classes a week. And I had to either find rides for her or take her myself. And that, that I didn't want to do it. Was that good that she had that? It was good that she had that, but it was also difficult because teenagers under the best circumstances suck. And when you're grieving and you're not fun to be around because you're crying and you're depressed and you're angry, you're, they just do not know how to relate to that. And we're a society that does not teach people how to grieve. We don't teach adults or children how to grieve. We, I, I'd use the analogy all the time. When I was in middle school, I was forced to take an industrial arts class and I used a saw and a vice and things that I typically don't, you know, now I do because I'm a widow, but I don't know how to use them because I took industrial arts when I was 13. I, I use them because I watch a YouTube video now, but we don't teach people how to grieve. And so you may never have to use a vice in your life. You may never use geometry in your life, but you will need tools on how to grieve. And we don't teach people that. And to me, that's insane. And we don't teach people because if you don't lose somebody, you're going to know someone who loses somebody. Oh. And how do you show up for that person? These are essential life skills. Like these aren't just nice little flufferies that we're giving people. Essential. No. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the strangest thing because we have you know, um, preparation for weddings and we have, you know, taking trips and we learn all sorts of different things, but no one ever touches grief nope. in nope. school or courses or, or unless you go for your particular therapy yourself. Right. And we are all going to have some grief in all shapes and forms. Yeah. We are, and we are just so adverse to grief because it's all about feeling good, the power of positive thinking and hang in there and you'll get over this and a rolling stone gathers no moss and what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. We have all these beautiful platitudes to dismiss our human feelings, but that's not reality. And people have a timestamp on grief and it's a year. And typically people's patients run thin before the year's up. But when that year is up, like it's, it's all gone and they are done with you and you need to be done. You're grieving and ready for this next chapter of your life. Grief it's free. Like, it's like the boss steps into your house and says, okay, yep. all done. Yep. You're done. You're, yep. you're like, okay now. Mush, mush, your year is up. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to go. <laughs> I, I know individuals that went back to work after two weeks. Um, I know people that don't go back to work after a year or, or two. Um, and I'm not sure. I, at first, when I thought about it, I thought, which one's better? But there's no better. 
Mm-mm. Each one is individual. There's, there is no better. And it is when you're ready to go back and don't let someone push you to come back. I was pushed to come back to work before I was ready. And when you go back to work, make sure that you're still taking care of yourself and you're having conversations with your boss to say, I maybe need to take a day off a week to go to counseling. I maybe need to be able to shut my office door and cry for an hour and just to pay attention to what you need. And again, honor that. Everything comes back to that word of honoring yourself, honoring your journey, honoring the person that passed. And that's really important because again, you can grieve and you can be a productive employee, but you have to be able to do both. You have to feel that you have permission to do both. Right. Because there's no end. Right. Of time. Time doesn't exist in your grieving process. That's how I look at it. Right. Um, what other kind of tips can you give as a closing to our listeners of, of your journey as well as what you've been learned throughout these last few years? Um, I just, I really think the most important skill I've come out with is I show up differently and I love fiercely and I always did, but maybe not as demonstratively as I did before. And now to me, it's about the connection. And if my friend, if I want to go out for Mexican food and my friends want to go out for Italian, we're going to go out for Italian because I want to be with you. And I say that to people and I know sometimes they wish I would have an opinion, but Tina, I don't care because whether we eat Mexican or Italian is irrelevant. Whether you eat the chocolate donut or the glazed donut is irrelevant. I just want to spend time with the people that I love and all of those other things are just noise in the background. And I I don't want to fight about those things. And I also don't want to spend my time with people that don't feed my soul. And I've learned boundaries. So we've talked a little bit, probably a lot about boundaries, but that's the most important thing. And just don't be afraid to have those boundaries because people might not like them. People might think you're mean or harsh or whatever they want to call you, but loving yourself is important. Loving the right people around you is important. This is your only one fabulous life that you're still here living. And that's the last thing I'll close with is that you are still alive. That loved one has died. And so you have the right to figure out whatever that wonderful life is going to be for you. And that's the best gift you can give someone who's passed away. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. That's really, really nice how it all kind of tied into that again, because I don't think we give ourselves credit for our feelings, for what we feel, um, how we're how we're looked upon when we are feeling like that, we're feeling less of, we're feeling not strong, we're feeling so many things, um, and it's it's really really nice. And I and I know there's so many different topics that we could talk about as well because I know. Um, on some of my visits with clients, after someone's passed away, they'll, some people will leave a shrine, some people will leave things that remind them of that person. Some people don't want anything. Some people want to move away from wherever they were. So it's, it's such an unusual journey where everyone is different. Um, even after that. It's, yeah. Um, and there's so much learning. I bet you learn from each and everybody that you interview. I do. And the one thing I learn that I think is the most beautiful is that I'm not so unusual. And my grief is not so unusual. And my feelings and thoughts as silly or crazy or ridiculous, outlandish that I think they are, they're really not because somebody else is going through the exact same thing. That's for sure. There's many of us, especially during COVID. This has changed our worlds upside down. And 
if you, if any listeners are out there and you think it's never going to happen to you, I have something else to tell you. I know. I know. And I say that in my podcast, I'll tell people all the time, spoiler alert, you <laughs> are going to die. <laughs> so it's, I hate to ruin the end of the movie for you, but you will die. <laughs> they all die. <laughs> Everybody dies. You know, it's just, you hear that joke about movies, but I tell people that all the time. It's the end mm -hmm. of the story. Everybody dies. And that sounds negative, but again, it comes back to what are you going to do with this wonderful life while you have it? Yes. And sometimes I talk about if someone said to you, you have one day left, what will you do with it? Yeah. So, and I think Katy Perry sings, sings that song actually. Um, and with one, I, I can't remember the name of it, but it's the one day left. And in the song, she says she'll call her mom and she'll write a letter to her dad. And yeah, so I think it always seems to come up. If you have someone that you're thinking of at the moment, pick up the phone, text them, FaceTime them, Zoom them, whatever it is, and tell them you love them today. Yeah, because absolutely. you don't know what tomorrow will bring. That's right. If you want to say it, say it. And don't be attached to the outcome. Say it because it feeds your soul, not because you expect somebody to respond in a specific way. So it can be someone you haven't talked to. It can be someone you're in a fight with, someone who hates you. But if you want to pick up the phone and say, I love you and you mean the world to me, that's what you do. And don't really care about what they how they respond. Free yourself. Exactly. That's beautiful. Well, thank you, Susans. Thank you thank so you. much for... Oh, you have, you're full of information. Oh, thank you. Um, and, and helpful information at that, because we can never have enough of people like you out there um, explaining the feelings, explaining what you're going through, explaining. Uh, I think it's, it's the unknown for all of us. And that's the difficult part, I think, to, to put out there because, and not worry that tomorrow is another day. Right. When you're going through it, that's for sure. But, um, well, let's end it on that with Susan. She's had so many good thoughts and processes for all of us. So thank you. Thank you so very much for coming thank on our you. podcast. Thank you. Um, so uh, listeners, you know, prepare for the unexpected. You will wonder how to be prepared. That's where your backup plan and the emergency merging blueprint will guide you through all of those storms in life. You may not be able to stop emergencies from happening, but you'll have a great plan to get you through it. The more you're able to get through it, the more you'll be present. Brene Brown says everyone has a story that will bring you to your knees and, and be the survival guide for someone else. And that's what Susan is really doing. She's being the survival guide for all of us listeners out there. So what will your story be, listeners? And I always end it with Carol Burnett. Thank you, Carol Burnett. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I'm so glad we had this time together just to have a laugh or sing a song. Seems we just get started. And before you know it comes the time we have to say so long. So thank you, Susan. Thank you, listeners. If I hope you really appreciate our show today. It will be um, also on audio for our podcast listeners. Um, and I hope you like, share, and subscribe to anyone that you feel that is going through grief. I'm sure there's something in there for you and those that you love around you. So thank you again um, for listening. Thank you for subscribing, liking, and sharing. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.